0: Now let's listen to a great program.
1: She spends her time painting, building towers and being a personal chef and chauffeur for her family. Well, with a baby and three other kids you do, don't you? Mm-hmm. And but out of outside of her home, she's highly involved in the Charismatic Renewal and also a member of the St. Benil Parish Council and she runs the Little Flowers chapter. She'll tell you what that is. And she first experienced the power of the Holy Spirit when she was at a teen retreat sponsored by the Catholic Charismatic of New Orleans in 2000. She earned an undergraduate degree in theology education from Holy Cross College and a master's degree in catechesis and evangelization at the Augustine Institute. In 2013, she joined the National Service Committee for the Charismatic Renewal and she's now the chairperson for the 2018 National Charismatic Conference and also serves on the Southern Regional Conference Steering Committee. That's the one we have here in New Orleans. She's a busy lady. (laughs) She enjoys speaking on all matters of the Catholic faith and she has a new heart for the new evangelization. She has a heart for the new evangelization. And she ministers all around the country. We were so lucky that we were able to get her here. Amen. She thinks that God is especially calling her to bridge the generational gap and help millennials strengthen their faith and become leaders in the charismatic renewal in the church.
2: So if you would just extend your hands. Casey, coming up here. Thanks so much for having me here today. Um, as I was praying in the chapel um, just about this specific breakfast, I was struck by a pretty simple biblical fact, but just this idea that the the Magnificat, this whole idea of Mary proclaiming the greatness of the Lord, all the things he had done for her, shortly after she had found out that Jesus was within her womb. So she had received this confusing, not yet fully revealed message, and the first thing she did was turn to praise. And I thought about in my life that typically that's not the pattern I follow. If I receive a a fusing message or uh, a blessing in disguise or a hardship, my first response, like my autopilot, is more of one of like kicking and screaming. You know, I run to prayer and I'm begging God to change whatever this circumstance is. For me, I usually wake up in the middle of the night, like, sweating, and i am like, go to pray my erasory, and, like, this can't be what you're asking for me, right, God? Like, I'm pretty in tune with your spirit, so surely this isn't what you're calling me to do. And I'm begging him to change my circumstances, when in reality the only thing I can control is my reaction, my actions. And so really my story is a series of that, is either when I've gone kicking and screaming when God's asked me to do something, or the times when he's given me the wisdom, the virtue, to say yes. And oftentimes I'm, I'm humbled when I'm asked to share my testimony because I don't have this dramatic story. I wasn't, I wasn't living an atheist life and, and came into the church. I don't have a marriage that was on the brink of divorce and God miraculously saved us. I, don't ha- I didn't have this life-threatening illness and he cured me. But I've realized that for me, for my journey, it's been all the continual little yeses or no's along the way that have brought me here. And I would venture to say that for most of us, that's our story, right? That we have these, these times in our life that we can look back and say, wow, God brought me out of that. God brought me, brought me to this and seen his hand in it. And so that's what I just want to share. I want to share my story and where God's moved. And for me, my testimony starts in the Eucharist. Where it'll end, I don't know, because this side of heaven, obviously, your journey's never complete. But my first memory as a kid growing up was our family going to church. And what I particularly remember about our family going to church, well, I was the youngest in our family, was that at halftime, Everybody got a snack at church and I didn't. I didn't know what they were going up for. All I knew was I got a blessing. Everybody else got a cracker and I didn't. And as the youngest in my family, I continually felt that I was like a victim of my birth order, okay? It was like, you have to go to bed the earliest, or no, you can't do this, you know, you can't watch this show because you're not 12, no, you can't, you know, and I constantly felt it, and even in Sunday church, I was just like, this sucks, man, like, I can't, they get a, we, first of all, I don't even know what's going on for an hour every Sunday, and everybody else gets a snack, and I don't, you know? Our family was the one, like, my mom didn't bring Cheerios to church, you know, it was, you sat there, you were quiet, And so I didn't really understand. Now, whether this is like a universal kid thing or it's a family of origin issue, now my youngest son, every time we're going up to receive the Eucharist, he's trying to pry his dirty little finger into my mouth, you know, and on the whole way back he's saying, I want some. Can I take a bite? You know, so obviously there's something in children, something of all of us that knows, like, there's something different. There's something different about the Eucharist. And, you know, I think that's why the Catholic faith is so beautiful, because we have all these Catholic touch points, so to speak, that can call us back. So even though I grew up in a nominally Catholic home, we weren't overly devout or overly committed, but we were good Catholics. We went to Mass on Sunday. But there are these little Catholic lights that can call people home, even if they've been away from the faith. I don't know if any of you here have ever read or seen Brideshead Revisited. But it's the story of this European family who's away from the faith, and one of the characters on his deathbed, he literally sees the red light, sanctuary light at an adoration chapel and has a conversion. Because all it takes is the light of Christ to change someone's heart. And I'm grateful for that, because I grew up in a home we're very early on my parents divorced and from a very early age this idea of living in two places not having solid footing in one home really kinda set the course for what became normal for me now I'm blessed to stand before you and say that I've never seen my parents fight and never is not a hasty generalization never is the truth I've never seen them fight they got along so well that we split time 50-50 between my mom and my dad which may be fair but really resulted in me living out of a suitcase halfway through the week and changing halfway through the week and I didn't have this stabilizing force anymore of a family unit that was together and for some reason I would probably say it was the g- grace of my first three sacraments the Catholic Church was that for me and I didn't know why But I remember as a grammar school kid, and you say Father Rehershide, your chaplain, he was the priest at St. Margaret Mary in Slidell when, when I was in school there. And he was the priest there. And for some reason, I told my dad, I was like, look, when you pick me up on Sundays, let's go to church, and then I'll come back at your house till Wednesday. And he was like, okay. And we did that. And he did it because he loved me. I had no real direction for the faith. Now, I was living in the world and had a ton of direction and had to live that life. But I had some questions, I had some inkling about the faith, but I didn't have a lot of direction for that. And so I just kind of grew up, I would say, a normal, a, a really normal kid in the 90s. Maybe not much different than maybe some of your kids. I lived a normal life. I went to Catholic grammar school. But when I was in high school, a friend's dad invited us to go on a retreat. And he said, look, I'll pay for both of you to go on this retreat. I want y'all to to go on it. And so we said, sure. And so this was like in August. So as the month started going by and we were getting closer and we were getting closer and it's December and the retreat's the first weekend in January, I realized, like, I'm not so sure I want to go on this retreat, Number one, I'm a people pleaser. So I said yes, because I didn't want to make her dad mad. And, and now here I am saying, gosh, if I go on this retreat, like I'm not going to be the one sitting in the back with their arms folded, right? Because I'm a people pleaser. So I want to engage. Even if I'm not like sure about it, I'm going to be there. I'm going to try to be all in. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I, I don't want to go on this retreat. How am I going to not go on this retreat? And so I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and I remembered, the role in my house growing up was, if you went home from school on Friday, you didn't play on Saturday, and Sunday you had to do your makeup work from school. And so I thought, that's it. I'll say I'm sick, I'll go home, and then I won't have to go on this retreat. And so I sat down, and I was, I was sitting in my religion class at Dominican, and I was like, that's it. I have a sniffle, I'm calling home, and this will be done. But then reality sets in, which is Casey, Your mom's a high school principal, so unless you have 104 and dying, your butt's staying in school, okay? I mean, growing up, my mom was a grammar school principal, then she was the high school principal, and then when I was at Holy Cross College, she was there as well, you know, and for us kids, really, unless we were dying, our butt was staying in school. She had a school to run, you know, and so I realized, well, this isn't going to go over that well, and she's not going to be able to bail me out of this one, so I said, fine, I'll go. And so I went on the retreat, and Friday night of the retreat, the MC there said, um, tomorrow, if you've never been on this retreat before, you're going to go in this building, and if you've been on the retreat before, you're going to go in this building. And I remember sitting there thinking, as if I'm going to split up for my friends. Like, I already have to miss a weekend, and now she had gone on this retreat before, and now you're going to tell me I can't be with my friend for a whole day? I was like, I'm just going to lie, you know, and, and go in that room. And the MC says, and if you're thinking about splitting up from your friends, don't do that. You know, it'll it'll be worth it. And I remember thinking, like, is this what prophecy is like? You know, like, whoa, he knew my thoughts. But the reality was that was every teenage girl's struggle, right? They didn't want to be separated from their friends. And so I sat back down, and I went on the retreat. And I attended a baptism um, in the Holy Spirit seminar, a Life in the Spirit seminar. And I remember the talks were good. I don't remember, like, having this massive, like, aha moment, but really, really finding out more of the faith and understanding things, and really was filled up. And that evening, they had adoration. And when the priest processed in, the music ministry was singing songs, and all the people in this room got down on their knees and started praying. And I was just, like, looking at people thinking, is this the same Eucharist that I received in second grade? Because you see, all these people seemed like they loved who was up there. Where for me, up until that point, the Eucharist had only been a what. It had been that thing I receive on Sundays. But all of these people looked like they had a relationship with someone. And I sat there and I thought, okay, God, either all of these people are nuts and I'm right which typically that's how I think, okay? Let's just, if we're being honest, that's, that's kind of how I go. Or there's truth to this, and I need to change. Because you see, I had been brought up in the rules of the faith. I knew what to do, when to do, how to do it. But I hadn't been brought up in a relationship with Christ. And all of a sudden, I saw that these people had a relationship. And something that has stuck with me is that rules without relationship breed rebellion. Why do people leave the faith? Because the rules don't make sense. Why don't they make sense? Because they don't have a relationship with Christ. The rules of marriage, the rules of religious order don't make sense unless you're in love with the person that you're committed to. And all of the sudden, here I was 13 in the faith I had been baptized in when I was very young, when I was 2 months old, all of a sudden the faith that I had been baptized in, all of a sudden I was ready to have a relationship. And that was a game changer because previously I was just doing what I was told. I was checking off the sacramental rubric. I was just going and making all the little check marks so that I could be a good Catholic. And as we sat in adoration that night, I said, okay God, I give it all to you. I'm ready to live my life fully as a Catholic and everything that that means. And so I joined a a weekly youth group. We took bus trips to Steubenville every summer but I had no one daily walking with me in the faith. It was certainly a good next step. I was in a youth group. I was doing the right things most of the time. But I had no one really walking with me and kind of explaining, like, what just happened? What are, how do you move deeper into a relationship with God? And so I was sitting there kind of with one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. You know? I, was, I, had, I had seen what the fullness of the faith was about, and I liked it. But I didn't yet have all the tools to live that way. And really that was how most of my high school was characterized, was I knew the truth and I was kind of slowly getting there and what that meant for me. And so that with every yes I gave to God, with every turning over of myself, I began to hear him more clearly in prayer. Now you might say, well, how do I know if it's God in prayer? Well, for me, I have a pretty clear rule. If it's something I don't want to do and I'm praying about it and I feel urged to do it, it's probably God, okay? That's usually a surefire thing. And St. Ignatius tells us it's either the Holy Spirit, the unholy spirit, or your spirit. And so it's a matter of where is my spirit because it's, it's going to be in line with one or the other. And to be able to discern him now, this didn't mean that even though I started hearing them clearly in prayer, I didn't have periods of desolation. Or it just meant that I was continuing to put off the old way and put on the new. And the first time that after that that I realized, like, okay, there might be something to this, was one night I was praying. It was shortly after a friend of mine's brother died in high school. And I was praying. This was a very tragic, very sudden death. And I was praying. And very clearly, the words don't worry about the blisters, was just put on my heart. And so I'm praying, don't worry about the blisters. I keep praying. It keeps saying, don't worry about the blisters. So I call him, and I say, hey, look, I've been praying for you, your family. Um, My heart really just hurts for y'all. This is awful what happened. This is, like, really weird. I don't know what this means, but, you know, I was in St. Francis Xavier Adoration Chapel praying for y'all, and um, the words, don't worry about the blisters, just kept getting put on my heart. So like, I don't know if God wants to tell you that or what. And on the phone, he starts crying. And he says, Shortly before my brother died, he and I were having batting practice. And I was getting so tired. He, they, they played baseball. And he said, I was getting so tired and so tired. And, and my brother kept telling me, Don't worry about the blisters. You keep hitting that ball, you keep playing, because if you push through the pain, you're going to be a better baseball player. This isn't a broken limb, this isn't anything, this is your hands getting used to the grip to the bat. Don't worry about the blisters, and keep going. Well, I about dropped the phone. I was like, okay, God, you're real, (laughs) you know? All right, way to show off, all right, I believe you. And I thought, wow. God can and does move in our life. You know, oftentimes we have such a um, horizontal view of our life. We think God's up there, we're down here, and this is how how we're supposed to live. But the reality is he created us to be a vertical people, a a people that look upward to heaven, and that if we have the eyes to see it and the heart that's ready to receive it, he wants to act and move in our life. And, he's, and he's, it's not that he can't, it's that we won't let him. And so I started to realize, wow, the more I can do this surrender thing, which is hard, which I don't like to do, but the more I can do it, the closer he's going to become to me. And the closer I'm going to feel his presence and who he created, to me, created me to be. And so I, during this journey, I just started to realize more of what the Catholic Church was. And it's a gift to be sure. And the sacraments God gave us to be able to be put in touch with him. Now, when I say that I had my reversion, I would say reversion because I had never fully fallen away from the faith. But when I say I had that at a retreat, it's not because the sacraments can't do it. Because they can But it's because modern man, us, we're often so loud that when God speaks, we can't hear him. And so he often needs to work outside the sacramental rubric of what we're meant to do as good Catholics to catch our attention. Which is why for a lot of us, it's um, a life-threatening moment. It's a marriage on the brink of divorce. It's a sick child. Whatever it is, it's a retreat. It's a talk that we go to. And that when I say it wasn't enough for me to just to receive the sacraments, it wasn't because the sacraments can't do it. They can. It's because I was that thick. I was that hard-headed that he needed to work outside of the sacraments for me so that ultimately, ultimately when I did receive the sacraments, they were heightened. And they were what they should be, right? I had so much venial sin covering, covering me that I couldn't fully access what was that about. What is the fullness of the sacraments that he'll give me? Now, I would like to say that after that first conversion, that that was it. You know, that, that I, I was completely sold out. But it was like God poured miracle grow on the sacraments for me so that now all of a sudden these, they were starting to come alive for me and mean something different. And so I did what a lot of kids in high school, when I was in high school, who had some sort of religious experience, they went and studied theology after, because it was like, well, i got to learn more about my faith now. So I went to Holy Cross College, just right up the road, and I got my degree in theology there. And when I finished my degree, I just felt something unsettled. I felt like God was calling me to go get another degree, and so I just took it to prayer, I took it to prayer, and I was like, great, Notre Dame Seminary here is taking lay people, I'll just go there, I'll get my degree, you know, I'll learn more, it'll be great. But every time I prayed about it, I didn't have peace. And I was so confused, like, you're putting this desire on my heart, but this is the only school I know of, so what's going on? And so I walked into Dr. Petrie's office, who's my undergrad professor, and he says to me, Casey, have you ever thought about getting your graduate degree? I was like, well, yes. And, uh, and he was like, yeah. He was like, I think you need to apply to the Augustine Institute in Denver. And I was like, no. Like, it's cold. It snows. No, no. And, uh, and he says, look. He was like, I'm just letting you know. I think you should apply there. So I took it back to prayer. And I was like, God, you know, I'm in New Orleans, Mecca. Like, it's the center of my universe. Everything I need here is here. Everybody's Catholic here, and if they're not Catholic, they're culturally Catholic, so they know what you're doing at least. And if they're not culturally Catholic, there's enough people that are Catholic or culturally Catholic here that you're not odd, right? It's not odd on Ash Wednesday to see everyone with ashes on their heads. It's not, it's not odd to see fish fries or the Lenten special at Wendy's, you know? Like, that's very unique to this area only, okay? Um, and I was like, no, like, New Orleans is it, like no. And, but I kept praying and kept praying. And what was the rule I told you about earlier? You know, if something in prayer and you don't want to do it, but it's in prayer, it's usually God. And the Augustine Institute, the school in Denver, just kept getting put in my heart, and I'm like, all right. So I got online and I applied, and very shortly after, I mean, very shortly after, I received a very nice scholarship, not because I was a great student, okay? I, probably because God knew he had to sweeten the pot if I was going to get there, okay) <laughs> I received a very nice scholarship and then a housing opportunity real close to the school opened up and so I was like okay God I guess I'll I guess I'll do that so literally packed my bags headed out west and went to school there now I decided that it was a two-year degree program and I decided that uh, they had they wanted to trial this 13-month express degree where you would, con- you would go to class continually for 13 months and end with your degree, because they had a lot of um, like teachers and young families, so they wanted to kind of move them through the program. And I was like, sign me up, because I can get back home that much quicker. So I started that. Well, four months after I moved there, I met my husband, and the night that I met him, I, you know, we were, at a, um, we were at a party and I met him. And I went home. I went back in my room that night and I wrote, Lord, you're either calling to be a religious or you're calling me to marry this man. I knew. Now, people say love at first sight doesn't happen. Maybe not for you, but it's true for me, right? I'm being all relative here, okay? But it's true for me. And it happened. And I look back and think, wow, that was God. I had no desire. This was not about a degree for me. In the end, much to my parents' sadness. They're like, really? We just moved you all the way across country. You met a boy. They're like, just stop. Just focus on your studies. I was like, don't worry, Mom. Don't worry, Dad. I'll get my MA, my MRS. I'll get two degrees at once. We'll be done with this. You know, it'll be, it'll be great. And they, and they were a little, a little leery, obviously. But God continued to work on my heart for full conversion for him. And so, when I decided, okay, God, I've had my first reversion back to the faith, I still feel, though, that I'm a little lukewarm. And after one New Year's Eve of too many bad choices, if we're honest, I woke up the next morning, and I said, that's it. I said, it's all yours. I lay it all down. I said, I'm not drinking till I'm 21. I said, here's all my rap CDs. Some friends and I had a CD crushing party with like the glass going everywhere. It was very dramatic, you know? And I wonder like what would kids do now? Like just press delete on the MP3? Like it's not nearly as dramatic or effective. But I guess it would have the same result. But we threw all of our bad CDs. We crushed them, reassessed my wardrobe, went through everything that wasn't modest. And then I had the dilemma like, do I give this to Goodwill? Or do I burn this? And then I reasoned, like, well, people are shorter than me, so the skirt might not be that short on them, so I can give it to Goodwill, you know. And really decided, okay, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. It's all yours. And when I did that, He showed up. Now, it wasn't an easy, it's all yours. It was only by the grace of His Holy Spirit that I was able to say, it's all yours. And he came. And, you know, the psalm says, I think it's Psalm 95, um, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Right? We say it, like, almost at least once a week if you go to daily mass. And I started to realize I was hearing his voice in all these little ways. And if I could soften my heart and open up to the life he had for me, it was going to be far better than the life I dreamed. Now, it doesn't mean it's all butterflies and roses and easy, but that what he wanted in my life was going to drastically change who I was and show me the fullness of who he created me to be. And so another time when I talk about how I felt like, okay, I laid down something else and that he was going to just come into my heart more. Another time that I felt very clearly that I was hearing him in prayer was two years ago when we became pregnant with our um, fourth child. When we became pregnant, we um, were the type of people who we tell people right away, there's no right or wrong, but for my husband and I, we believe part of being pro-life is, for us is just saying we're pregnant and telling people right away, you know, even when it's in a, a nerve-wracking time. But all of a sudden, my theory on that changed. Because I told him, I said, um, I had two dreams last week that I miscarried. This was before we found out we were pregnant. I said, I had two dreams that I miscarried, and so I'm not ready to tell people. And so sadly, shortly, very, um, very shortly after that, we miscarried. And I thought, wow, my God is so near and dear to me that he warned me and showed me even then that something was going to happen. And I know a lot of people um, who miscarry often name their babies. But I I just had a hard time with that. I was like, I, I was having trouble connecting. I thought it was weird, not for anybody else, but for me. It, it just didn't seem right. And as we were about a week into it, a name was put on my heart. Just like out of the blue, one day at home doing the normal household routine. There was a name on my heart. And so my husband gets home from work, and I was like, hey, I know we haven't talked about this. I was like, uh, there... I think we're supposed to name this baby. I think that's what people do um, and, and I have a name. And he looked at me with chills on his arms, and he said, that's weird. He was like, there was this random name on my heart, too, at work today. And so then it's like, oh, man, who goes first? You know, because whoever goes second can be like, oh, yeah, me, too. That was the name, you know. <laughs> but I'm like, uh, okay. And he goes, well, what was it? And I said, Benedict. And with chills on his arms, my husband, who's not really an emotional guy, with tears in his eyes, he said that was the same name that God put on my heart. Now, if you know anything about the Benedictine motto, or at Labora, work and pray, here was my husband working. Here I was at home, praying, doing what God had called me to do, and that he had brought us together in that moment. And so I look back on that and I can say, God, you were there. Not because of anything I did, but because you were there. And my testimony doesn't stop with just another deeper conversion to Him. I don't know what your vocational walk is or or, or where you came from, but I know for me, once I discerned that God was calling me to be a wife and a mother, like I thought I had arrived. I thought, okay, like I said yes to what you asked. So obviously, we are at the fulfillment of what you're calling me to. But what I didn't realize is that once you move in with someone and have a continual mirror staring back at you, all of a sudden, I don't look so holy, you know? And I'm like, wow, I could be really nice to a room of 100 people I don't know, but give me the four that I know the best, and let me tell you, it's kind of ugly, okay? And oftentimes, I I get the comment like, would you say that in front of a group of people you're speaking to? It's like, Well, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, where is my daily walk found right now? It is in the very mundane, and it's in the very elementary of raising little kids. Now, St. Benedict, he has this awesome quote. And he says, prayer ought to be pure and short. I'm like, thank you. I know you weren't a married man, but I, I feel like that was written for people who are married or have a family because that's all you have time for sometimes. Now, I try to, I don't always do a great job, but I try to set my alarm and get up because I can be assured that that's going to be 30 minutes when no one else needs me because everyone else is still sleeping, that I can pray. Now, but when I don't do that and I hear a do- my door open before I've had the time to pray, I very quickly throw up a come Holy Spirit before the day begins. Because on the mornings when I pray, when I actually have time to center myself on God, to center myself on what's important, my kids, my husband are getting the wife and mother that he's calling me to be. And on the, on the mornings that I don't, it just looks ugly. You know, for us in, in our household, like a staple breakfast is oatmeal, okay? And it's like, almost every morning, Goldilocks and the three bears. My oatmeal's too hot. My oatmeal's too cold. But unlike Goldilocks and the Three Bears, nobody's oatmeal is ever just right, you know? Like, no one's like, oh, yeah, this is mine. Thanks, Mom. And unlike Goldilocks and the Three Bears, I'm the wicked mother. And I'm like, eat your oatmeal. You will eat this. You will be grateful. And I'll pull up the iPad and I'll say, this is what starving children look like. You're not starving. Eat your oatmeal. That's on the mornings when I don't pray, you know? But on the mornings that I have had time to gather my thoughts and pray, I'm like, well, it would be really good if you eat your oatmeal. Because this is your only breakfast, and we're leaving in 30 minutes. Which is vastly different, and if we're honest, usually goes over a lot better than when I'm berating them and trying to shove oatmeal down their throat. And for us, what I found in our family is that we needed like, some, kind of, um, some kind of like communication system between us. Of, why, why do you not do this to your brother? Why do you not do this to your sister? And so we started, as our family started, memorizing memory verses. And so the first one that we had to mem- uh, that we made um, our little, our family memorize was Ecclesiastes 8. He who obeys a command will meet no harm. And that's what we started driving home, mostly to the boys, of if you listen and you obey, time out won't follow, okay? Like, he who obeys a command will meet no harm. And then we taught him Ephesians six one, children obey your parents in the Lord. And about like four months into this, I realized like all the memory verses were all like, do good or else, you know. And I was like, wow, I probably should teach him that God is love, perfect love casts out all fear, you know. And so we started. We started with the memory verses of how does God love us, and which obviously, knowing now, I probably should have done that in reverse. Um, But at the end of the day, when I have nothing else to give, I'm praying, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Because what I want to yell is, come here, Paul Francis, pick your socks up, the floor. come here, stop hitting your sister, you know, whatever it is. But that if I can keep calling on the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean I'm not correcting them. But at least now I'm doing it in love. And for me, the reason I need that is because I I am like... uh, Genetically wired with firecrackers in my blood. Like, I just explode. Uh, If you're not perfect, it's wrong. You know, like, I have very small margin of error for my husband and kids. And that's a really bad trait to have. And I'm constantly asking for forgiveness. I feel like when I'm doing my examination of conscience in bed, that's pretty much a daily... That's... I just... It's the first thing I say. Not having enough patience. Expecting perfection, you know. But that I'm daily calling upon his Holy Spirit, to fill the broken spirit that's in me. And so saying yes to God, saying yes to a life in the Spirit, has allowed me to see, okay, God, like my ways are, are not always your ways, as I wish they were. Because previously, before I really decided, okay, I'm going to live the faithful out, my, my Bible verses were, I can do all things through Casey who strengthens me or with Casey, all things are possible, you know? And if we're honest, I believe that a lot still. And I have have that check in my spirit that says, I'm God, you're not, and lay it down to him. And, you know, I feel certain that God has put his angels before me to say yes. Because I am. I'm highly opinionated. Some would say stubborn, feisty, and so he sends his angels before me often, I feel like, to like um, diffuse the situation or to lighten things up, you know? So I don't come in there. But it's also that I can say yes to him and to what he's calling me to do. And so where do you need where do you need to say yes to God in your life? And that's a question that I try to ask myself often. If in sinning we're saying no to God, where do I need to say yes? Pope Benedict XVI has a great quote and he says, we weren't made for comfort. We were made for greatness. And I think so often as a Western people, as an American people, we're comfortable. We have everything we could need usually. But if we're made for greatness, what what does that look like? He's not calling you He's not calling me to have this put-together marriage, this put-together life. You know, maybe you're sitting here thinking, I have adult kids who have fallen away from the faith. I have a marriage that's struggling. I'm still searching for a spouse. I'm still searching for my vocation. All of those things are okay if we're following Christ. doesn't mean that they'll go away, but it means that he's there to carry the burden. Last night, I went to adoration and did a bold move for myself. I did a holy half hour with nothing. I left my journal, my Bible, my rosary, and my prayer book in the car. Has anyone ever done that, gone into adoration with nothing? Okay, I don't know what your experience was, but that's like tough as nails for me. But I was driving there, and I felt that God said, just leave it all. Just leave it all and come. And I'm like, what what am I going to do? Like, these are all forms of prayer. Why is all this bad? And the first 20 minutes of the half hour were kind of hard, if I'm being honest, okay? And I sat there before the Blessed Sacrament, and I just prayed. And I was like, okay, God, like, you know a thought would come in my mind, so I'd pray on it. Something to add to the grocery list would come in my mind, I'd try to remember it for later. And things just kept coming and I was like, "Okay, God." And I just kept saying, "I'm here. Okay, I'm here. I'm here." And when there's 10 minutes left, I said, "God, what what do you want me to say tomorrow?" This is about your work in my life. Your work being the thing that's magnified, my life being the thing that's not. What, what do you want me to say? And almost instantly, the word rest comes to mind. So I sat there and I said, okay. And then, very quickly right after that comes, rest easy, stand tall. which would be the acronym for rest. So I said, okay, Lord, like what, what is it? And the message, I think for us corporately, myself included, the message that he wanted to share was to rest easy. The war's been won. Though the battle of life and the battles that you're facing rage on, The war's been won, and rest in that. And stand tall. If we don't start holding ourselves as a victorious people, as someone who's on the side of the winning team, then we will lose the little battles. But it was this very clear message for us to rest easy, the war's been won, And to stand tall, because we're on the fighting team. And to be able to give a witness to that, whether it's the lady at the grocery store, the guy washing your car. But that we can give an account for the hope that is within us. And so as I sat there and just continued to pray, what came to me was, the scripture verse where he says, Come to me, all who are heavy burdened, and you will find rest. And then I was taken to the Martha and Mary passage. You are busy about many things, but only one thing is important. Me. And I thought, how appropriate is that for Lent? Because what I felt God called me to do This Lent, I I, kind of had this whole, this list. And, And when I was in prayer, in the chapel, the question came to me. If you're not more like me at Easter than you are right now, what you're sacrificing, what you're doing is done in vain. See, for me, Lent is always like a second attempt at my New Year's. You know, like, oh, that first month didn't go so well. Let's try to reboot it, you know, in a Catholic way. Maybe it'll be better this time. I'll have the sacramental graces. I'll do great. But if I'm not more like him at Easter, my Lenten sacrifices are done in vain. And so we're going to move into a little bit of time of ministry next. And I think for all of us, as we're just a few days into Lent, something that would be good to look into all of our hearts is what's God calling you to do? Sure, but what vocation, what virtue is most needed for your vocation in life? If you were to think about what virtue is needed most for your vocation in life, and then also which, for mine, it's, it, the answer is the same, but it might be different for some. And also, which virtue in life do you need the most work at? Because, honestly, if we take 40 days to prune a virtue within our hearts, on Easter Sunday, we can say, I'm more like Christ. Because of him, not because of me, but because of him. For me, what came to my mind as a wife and mother was patience. And then also, what virtue do I need to, am I the worst at, was patience. And I was personally convicted that I need to practice patience, not just in the timely sense, because that's true, because whenever my husbands or kids do something, even if it's right, it's always late to me. It should have been done five minutes ago. You should have seen that that happened 20 minutes ago. But exercising patience will naturally extend my mercy to them, which I don't have a lot of. And if I'm being more merciful then come Easter Sunday, I can say I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live is by the Son of God. And I can say that I'm more like him because of what he's done in my life. Um, Are we going to have any music, maybe? Could you strum just a little bit? Is that potential? Thanks. Awesome. Dee's such a willing servant. Awesome. Um, The first thing we're going to do is if you've never given your life to Christ and you want to do that, we're going to ask that you would stand so that we can pray over you. This would be beyond your sacraments. If you've never said, God, I want more of you besides what you've given me, we're going to ask that you would stand so that we can pray over you. And if nobody fits that category, and that's totally fine, we're going to second ask for all of us, For if you're standing here and you're saying, in this Lent, Lord, we have a fresh opportunity To say yes to you like we've never said before. If you want to say yes to God like you've never said yes before this Lent, I would ask you to stand. If you would like to say yes to God this Lent like you've never said yes to him before for a deeper conversion For more of you to go away, and for more of him to come in. And stand however it's come for. If you want to open your hands, if you want to bow your head, close your eyes, do whatever, and I'll just pray for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, I just thank you for the gift of today. I would ask that right now, you bring to mind everything that each one of us needs to lay down. What is it that you're calling us to say no to so that we can give you a more full yes? And God, we would ask that you would just take it. You would take our broken offering because that's what we're giving him. We're giving him our sin, our brokenness, whatever it is. Whatever it is that's standing in the way of you becoming more like Christ. God we give that to you right now. And we would say have your way with me. Yes, you, have your way with me. Specifically I feel like he's calling somebody or somebody's here to lay down the bitterness and the anger. the bitterness and the anger towards someone who you thought should have done something and they didn't. And God's calling you to lay that down. You know, in this, in this next 40 days, it's not about what other people do to make your life holier. Hmm. It's about your reaction, your actions, other regardless of what they do because Christ died on the cross regardless of what we had done and so if you would just pray with me Lord Jesus,
1: Lord Jesus.
2: I give you my sin I
1: give you my sin
2: I pick up your cross I pick up your cross To follow you. you. Let my my yes shine before others.
1: others.
2: So they're brought to your saving love. love. Amen. Amen. Because here's the deal. If we can put off the old, if we can say no to the sins in our life, not only can we at the end of this say Yes, Lord, I am more like you. But others will know, and that's how the kingdom advances, right? Oftentimes we hear that that people are are falling away from the faith because they haven't met an on-fire Catholic. Sure, it could be due to poor catechesis or poor upbringing, but it's also due to poor witnesses. If we can't show people that there's something different to the faith that he's calling us to, then they don't have a reason to follow. And this Lent, let's, let's pray to be that reason. Let's pray that God would put one person in our life over the next 40 days who we would have a divine appointment with. That over the next 40 days, as we're continuing to prune ourselves, and walk this road of Calvary with them, closer to the resurrection, that God would put one person in our life to witness to them. Not for our glorification, but for his. And if you want that, I just want you to say, let me be a vessel. Let me be a vessel, Lord. Let me be a vessel.
1: Yes, Praise you,
2: And Lord Jesus, we just give you our yeses, we give it all to you so that we can grow in holiness and that the fire of God can be lit within us so that all the world will know the true meaning of Easter and the true meaning of the resurrection because of what you've done in our life, not because of us, but because of what you've done. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much. That was. Let's
1: give her another hand. Thank you, thank you Casey. Casey. Mm. How beautiful! Oh, yeah. Are the feet of him who brings the good news, and thank you for bringing the good news to us today. And what a wonderful way to start Lent.
0: You can also email us at MagnificatCST at or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.